Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 1, podcast number 16 in the series, A New Voice of Freedom. These podcasts all come from a series of four books entitled, In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Today's podcast is entitled, Selfish Charity. James calls the two great commandments the royal law. In Matthew 22, we read, Master, which is the great commandment in the law, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you examine the Ten Commandments, you will find that the first five commandments help us to live the first great commandment of the royal law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The first five commandments are, 1. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 2. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. 3. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 4. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 5. Honor thy father and thy mother. And the last five commandments help us to live the second great commandment of the royal law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 6. Thou shalt not kill. 7. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 8. Thou shalt not steal. 9. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 10. Thou shalt not covet. The Ten Commandments lie at the heart of everything, the rise and fall of civilization, the joy and happiness of all the people of the earth. The Ten Commandments are at the heart of law and order, liberty, free will, freedom and agency. All the ills of the earth could be healed simply by the majority of the people living the Ten Commandments. There would be no murder, no adultery, no lying, cheating, stealing, or envying. There would be no poor, no racial division, no riots, no wars, no discontent. Our prisons would be empty, our streets safe, our governments peaceful. In the final judgment, we are going to be judged by our works. In other words, we are going to be judged by how well we live the two great commandments of loving the Lord and loving our neighbor. Violation of the Ten Commandments complicates everything. Obedience to the Ten Commandments simplifies everything. Our jails are full and our courts overcrowded only because we have turned our back on the Ten Commandments called by James the Law of Liberty. Our court system, however, is subject to the corruptions of man. In Shakespeare's play Hamlet, King Claudius, guilty of fratricide, tries to pray for forgiveness but cannot, he said. In the corrupted currents of this world, offense's gilded hand may shove by justice and oft Tis seen, the wicked prize itself, buys out the law. But tis not so above. There is no shuffling. There the action lies in his true nature, 
and we ourselves, compelled even to the teeth and forehead of our faults, to give in evidence. When the Lord commanded the children of Israel to appoint judges rather than have kings, he established the criteria for any free government. Notice the charge to the judges. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. Deuteronomy 1, 16-17 In the final judgment, we are going to be judged by our works according to absolute law. The Ten Commandments represent the absolute laws of God. When we trifle with the Ten Commandments, we trifle with law. As we turn our backs on the Ten Commandments, our laws soon become corrupt. Rather than protect the innocent, our corrupt laws reward the guilty. The first sign of the decline of civilization is the corruption of laws and the elevation of one group over another. Our judges do not judge righteously. There is respect to person. The small are ignored and the great favored. The world judges by relative ethics established by the most vocal. Those who allow government to determine morality may not find God so pliable in judgment. One of the greatest threats to liberty is when people do not acknowledge the existence of absolute law. Government, of course, cannot enforce all the laws of God. For agency to exist, we must have freedom of religion. Therefore, the first great commandment is largely a matter of conscience. That is why we have the First Amendment. However, when our nation denies God and moves away from the first great commandment, our freedom will fall, and in its place will be a form of totalitarian government. A people who do not accept the Ten Commandments as absolute law, but instead create their own version of law and morality through debate, quickly move toward disaster. On the one hand, a government which becomes a bully and dictates everything, no matter how noble their beginnings, tends toward totalitarianism. On the other hand, a government that ignores the consequences of moral law soon dissolves into hedonism. And in the name of rights, they encourage immorality. They treat the consequences and not the cause. It is as natural as water running downhill. If that is not checked, then democracy soon falls. That is the dilemma of government today. Government cannot and should not enforce the royal law, also known as the two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Government cannot enforce love. Government may punish actions, but government should not punish feelings. That is why the Lord revealed the Ten Commandments. The two great commandments are the higher law, subject only to the conscience of the people. That is the great dilemma of a democratic republic, which laws to enforce and which laws not to enforce. The Ten Commandments present the answer to that dilemma. In a democratic republic, the first five commandments cannot be enforced by government. Religious freedom is protected by the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law representing an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble 
and to petition the government for redress of grievances. The last five commandments, however, can and should be enforced by government. Thousands of years of history have proven that the violation of the last five commandments has brought down the biggest powers on earth. Government cannot enforce the second great commandment, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. For the same reason, government cannot enforce the first great commandment. We have the First Amendment. If we live the second great commandment voluntarily, we would live in utopia. Who, for example, would kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, or covet if they love their neighbor as themselves? In each act, someone's rights are seriously violated. How much grief is in the world simply because someone is a victim of murder, adultery, theft, lying, envy, or jealousy? However, government can enforce the last five commandments because the violation of those commandments infringes on the rights of others. 6. Thou shalt not kill. 7. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 8. Thou shalt not steal. 9. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. 10. Thou shalt not covet. In determining causality, one of the primary tools is to determine concomitant variation. The principle of causality simply means that for every cause, there is an effect, and for every effect, there is a cause. Concomitant variation determines the degree of causality. To illustrate concomitant variation, simply imagine driving a car. As you press on the gas pedal, the car goes faster. As you let your foot off the gas pedal, the car goes slower. Concomitant variation measures the speed of the car relative to the amount of gas fed into the carburetor. Imagine if we could measure the amount of grief in the world by measuring the relationship between the keeping of the last five commandments and the amount of happiness in contrary wise by measuring the relationship between breaking the last five commandments and the amount of unhappiness. Two things will save our nation and two things only. One, when the majority of people believe in absolute law. Two, when the majority of people strive to obey absolute law. For if people do not accept the absolute law, law becomes relative, changing with the times. But herein lies the dilemma. Absolute laws have absolute consequences. That law will never be compromised. Regardless of personal belief, the violation of absolute laws will bring calamity, piled upon calamity, until the nation falls. That is where our nation is today. Government is now even beginning to deny the natural laws of nature, such as the differences between men and women. To become a different sex, one must simply change one's pronoun. However, there is one obstacle. Nature will not allow it, and nature will act swiftly, and grief will follow. As with the laws of nature, so it is with the laws of God. Here's another irrevocable law. The laws of nature are just, not merciful. Fortunately for all mankind, the laws of God are both just and merciful. But all laws have conditions, and where those conditions are not met, the law of justice acts alone, and the law of justice acts swiftly and knows no mercy. The reason we cannot correct our problems in society today is simply because today our world denies the existence of absolute law. They deny the relationship between the laws of God, or the Ten Commandments, and the amount of sorrow that is in the world. By denying the direct cause, they seek the remedy elsewhere. The wrong remedy not only has no effect on solving the problem, but it often compounds the problem. 
because it promotes the cause while ignoring the effect. In simple terms, most of our efforts today in trying to address the unhappiness of the world are spent in justifying sin and encouraging the violation of the laws that would apply the remedy. For example, let's take just one principle of the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? I suppose that the single greatest virtue that comes to mind is charity. How we love the word charity. It is perhaps the most used and abused term in society. Both preachers and politicians love it. But here is the dilemma, isn't it? Religion encourages charity. Government enforces charity. In Christian terms, charity is the pure love of Christ. In political terms, charity is enforced socialism, communism, and totalitarianism. Voluntary charity blesses both the giver and the receiver. Enforced charity destroys freedom and creates greater division. We can enforce laws against lying, cheating, stealing, murder, etc., but we cannot enforce charity because charity is not an act. Charity is a feeling. Giving money to the poor is an act. Loving the poor is a virtue that sometimes is expressed in tangible ways such as feeding the hungry. Charity must be an individual choice. Except for those who become wealthy through crime, wealth is not a sin. The sin of government is to favor the rich over the poor or to favor the poor over the rich. In fact, the great sin of government is to favor any group over another. All citizens must be held equal under the law, the rich and the poor. A preacher, for example, will often ask his or her congregation to donate food, clothes, or funds to help the poor in an attempt to overcome present wants and put them back on the path of self-reliance. Government, however, is incapable of charity. It is only capable of redistributing wealth in the name of charity. In translation, charity becomes law and quickly turns into bribe to win the vote to the poor, with the promise that the dole system will be perpetuated indefinitely. When love governs charity, the end is always to help an individual become self-reliant. Government-imposed charity always leads to more power over the individual. The problem is simply this. Those who redistribute wealth are personally removed from the sacrifice because they use other people's money. And when that money runs short, they don't give their own wealth, which usually increases. They simply increase the taxes of others. By redistributing wealth, they grow in power. They present themselves as a savior, but in reality, they become slave owners controlling their slaves by redistributing wealth or withholding wealth. They treat the money as if it were their own to do with what they will. No government-enforced charity can ever succeed. It is built on a false premise. It is not charity. It is bribery, pure, unadulterated bribery, and is used to increase the power of the politician. Sacrifice is at the heart of all true charity. Where there is no sacrifice, there can be no charity. Enforced charity creates division, discontent, racism, anger, unrest, and even rebellion. When a thief steals your money, your heart is not warmed because they give it to the poor. If the thief plays Robin Hood, it doesn't warm your hearth, but it does set fire to the coals that burn within. The mistake we have made today is to think that politicians are the conscience of the nation. Paul said, why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Redistribution of wealth is a crime against liberty. The purpose of government is to punish criminals and uphold the law. But it is not to create economic equality or to give advantage to one citizen over another.
Common sense dictates that all cannot pay equal amounts of money for taxes, but all can pay an equal percentage. I propose a 10% tax across the board so that both the poor and the rich pay their share. Freedom has a price. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.